0: Let's go to Genesis 22. We're going to continue our Awesome God series that we started a few weeks ago. This is actually week four. This morning we're going to read almost the entire chapter of Genesis 22. It's arguably one of the most significant stories or moments in history ...in all of the Old Testament Scriptures. And it's the story of Abraham... ...and his son Isaac. Let's go ahead and jump in. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. Words are on the screen. After these things, God tested Abraham... ...and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son... ...your only son, Isaac... ...whom you love... But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering Instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and went together to Beersheba. And there Abraham lived. Lord, would you help us? As we consider this incredible moment in the life of a man and his son, in the history of of your people, and in our lives. It would help us to understand more of who you are, that we might have a deeper revelation of, of who you have called us to be as we look to you, as we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. What a story. We were reading uh, this together as a family, um, the kids and I, earlier this week. And we read the story, and then I asked the kids the question, has God ever asked you to do anything that seemed like really hard? And Evie still obviously sort of just stuck on the story itself, said, Papa, did God really ask that man to kill his son? That sounds like something the devil would do. <sighs> fair enough. That, that is a fair observation. What a story. What an intense moment. What a, what a, what a difficult episode the life of God and this man and his people and the story of redemption that's unfolding. This is an intense moment. In the Gospels, it shows up a couple of times. Jesus talks about the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament, and how they tell the story of his life. He says it this way to be exact in Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, including what we just read, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself this is a story about that if there were ever a story in the old testament that actually foreshadows what god was going to do in giving the life of his own son this is that story this is the archetypal story of god's story as he's working out redemption in a world that's gone terribly terribly wrong this is that story This is the story about God the Father and the Son of God ascending the mount of the Lord to make a sacrifice so that all the nations of the earth might be blessed through their faithfulness. This is the story of God foreshadowing his own story as he too would send his only begotten son up the hill to the place of crucifixion carrying on his own back wood for the sacrifice. Jesus carrying a Roman cross. This is the story of God's grace and mercy because instead of condemning the boy to death, he comes down and dies for him. He provides the sacrifice for us. He suffers sin's penalty in our place. Jesus is the lamb of God, the ram who takes our place. This is the story of God. God the Father and the Son of God ascending the mount of the Lord to make a sacrifice for us so that, yes, in fact, all of the nations of the earth might be blessed. This is God's story. This is the, the story. What a story. And this was also the story, a story, about us. Or rather, it could be. It's a story that we're invited to participate in. Like Abraham, who beckoned his son Isaac to trust him, to carry the wood and the sin, the mountain with him, Jesus calls us to trust him. To take up our cross, to surrender our lives, our treasure, and follow him that we too might experience true life, new life. In relationship with Him. This is the story, this is our story, who, like Isaac, in Jesus, we get to ascend the mountain with our Father and become vessels of His blessings to our families, our friends, our co workers, classmates, country, nation, and the world. This is our story, in so much as we get to participate in the story that God has been telling. As we become part of the family, adopted sons and daughters in Jesus because of what he did for us. And so as much of this is absolutely God's story, primarily, this is, this is the story of God. It's the story that we're also invited to participate in. It's our story. We get to follow our father up the hill. We get to trust him as we carry our own cross. We get to sacrifice what's most valuable to us so that we might experience new life. We lose our life, that we might find our life in him. What does that look like? Have you uh, been on this journey? Have you attempted to go the way of the cross? Have Have you been ascending the hill, following Jesus? To the cross. That you might lose your life. In new ways. And find your life in him. Let's consider the journey. Let's consider the implications. Of this story. And what it might look like. In our lives. Like practical terms. Lived out. Are you guys with me? Well. Well. Let's start in the beginning, verse 1. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. This is a story of testing. It's a journey of testing. After these things, what things? Well, Abraham had been walking with God, as it were. He'd been trusting Jehovah, Yahweh. He'd already appeared to him in the wilderness, and he he said, Abraham... I want you to trust me. I want you to leave your father's house and go with me on a journey. I'm going to take you someplace. I'm I'm going to begin to do something through, through you, through your wife, through your family. I'm going to begin to redeem the world. Fulfill the promise that I made at the beginning that through your offspring, one would come who would crush the head of the serpent and he would die in so doing. And I'm going to begin to tell that story through your life. So follow me now. Trust me. And it said that Abraham did trust God. He believed God and God said, that's righteousness. I'm declaring because you trusted me, you're righteous. You're right with me. This is the foundation, the beginning of a relationship with a man and his creator. And for, what, 30, 40 years, Abraham had been trusting God in this way. You know, it wasn't until 25 years later that Abraham and his wife Sarah would even have their son Isaac. Their only begotten son. Their special son. 25 years and then another 10, maybe 20, before this moment. So Abraham, this man on this journey, had been trusting God for a little while. But the trust had yet to be tested. Part of our journey, if you're interested, following Jesus, part of that journey involves having your faith tested. It's just part of the process. You know, um, you guys might find this amusing or powerful. When I was a kid, around 12, 13, Started playing water polo. Anyone, anyone grow up playing water polo? Camden? Yeah. Okay, cool. Water polo is one of these games where like, you only kind of play in high school, maybe college, if you're like really serious. But you don't just like rock up at the, the local pool and be like, hey, anyone want to like play a like, pickup game of water polo? <laughs> so I started playing... In middle school, summer league water polo, I would eventually start playing in high school, play water polo in the summer or water polo in the winter, and then I would swim in the summer. Those were my two main sports. Some of you guys have seen me on my feet. It's pretty embarrassing. But in the water, in the water, I'm something else. So I played water polo. I was fit. Back in the day. I'm talking speedo fit. (laughs) I would rock a speedo in public places. Or like at the pool, right? And feel really good about it. Like confident. I don't know how many years it took me to finally realize I'm not speedo fit anymore. Like not even close. In fact, I've started doing exercises with my kids, uh, me and my three kids. I'm trying to exercise at least four times a week, uh, mainly just for like my emotional health, stress, that kind of thing. And uh, we've, been, we've got a good little rhythm going. I think we might actually be forming the habit. And um, it only took me a couple of weeks to realize like, wow, I am properly out of shape. Um, I'm no longer speedo fit, but in my mind, For years, I'm like, dude, I played water polo. (laughs) It's funny how we can have these sort of mental or cerebral sort of um, versions of faith. To be sure, it begins by believing something. They say eventually it has to begin to work its way down. But as long as it's only internal... As long as our faith is merely cerebral, I don't know that we're actually experiencing biblical faith at all. Because elsewhere, we're told that faith, unless it's worked out, i.e. unless it's evidenced in like actual real life activity, it's not faith at all. It's just something we're believing. The biblical faith isn't Abraham merely believing God It began there, but it got tested, and it became real when that faith worked out in obedience. And so God takes us on a journey of testing because he wants our faith, our belief in him, his promises, his character, the things that he has said to us, about us, for us, would become substantial. He wants to take us on a journey from abstract to actual from theoretical to experiential he wants us to trust him in real substantial life lived out ways this is the journey of testing do you trust god in that way do you trust god or do you trust your understanding of god mm-hmm what does that mean well the the answer to that question is is actually quite simple oh it's it's incredibly difficult but the answer is very very simple do you trust god the answer to that question has everything to do with your obedience if you only hear the word and nod in agreement, but don't do it, you're you're like someone who looks in the mirror, walks away, and forgets who they are. Actual faith, actual trust in God, is always evidenced in obedience. And only in the working out of our faith do we actually experience faith in a very real and true way. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. That's the promise that God made Abraham in Genesis 15, that Abraham believed. And now, in verse 17 and 18, he says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Believing God and obeying him are always two inextricably linked, connected, inseparable aspects of the journey. But it has to be tested. Our faith will be tested because God wants us to experience an actual relationship with him in real life terms. He wants us to rock Speedo faith. Not just in my mind, man. I look good in my mind. Man, I look good when I was 14. Yeah, when you were 14. God wants to get us faith fit to rock the Speedo in your 40s, 50s. I mean, I'm talking like 80 years old. Now erase that image from your mind forever. Shoot. This is the journey of testing. This is also, that's point number one, this is also a journey of worship. We're told in verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, the two that he brought with him, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship come coming to you. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. They went to worship. You know, the Bible says a thing or two about worship. This is the very, very first time in the entire Bible that the word worship comes up. This is the first example of worship. You can do the word search. Genesis 22 takes a while. This is worship. This is a journey of worship. You know, as we're following Jesus... If you are following Jesus, or if you want to follow Jesus, there's a lot of different um, things that can get us going. There's a lot of different motivational factors. Oftentimes we start out with very, um, just like basic, legitimate, real, but relatively self-centered motivation. Like for me, I kind of joked earlier about like being bored, but avoiding hell. Avoiding hell was actually like a very real factor for me. I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. One time I was driving home before I was a Christian. I'd been with my bandmates and we'd been partying. And I don't know that I was drunk per se, uh, but I had been partying hard enough all night that when I finally decided to drive home, I just passed out behind the wheel. I was exhausted. And I went flying off the freeway. Next thing I know, I'm waking up off-road. I'm like bouncing down some like little ravine on the side of the freeway, branches hitting my windshield, finally come to a screeching halt. I jump out thinking like I'm, I'm about to die. The truck's going to blow up and the thing's just demolished. Somehow I walk away, climb up this hill and begin to make my way home. I was terrified. I was in shock. I thought I should probably call the cops, but they might end up arresting me walk so for four maybe five hours I walked all night I walked and I walked and I walked and I finally got home to my little studio apartment in downtown Long Beach my little kitty flower was there waiting for me threw myself into bed woke up the next day and uh, finally called the cops they had already towed the car off the side of the freeway that long walk home I remember thinking to myself over and over and over again, if I had died tonight, I'm not at all sure where I would be. I kept thinking, man, is God real? Heaven? Hell? What have I done with my life? Who am I really living for? And I could not shake the reality that, that my life was not my own. That I would answer to my maker. And if I wasn't right with him, then yes, the reality is I would spend an eternity apart from him. In a place the Bible refers to as hell. Gehenna. This place of outer darkness. This place completely devoid of light and life and God's presence. It's a terrifying thought. Jesus, he actually talked about it a lot. In fact, if you do a bit of a search through the Gospels, it's one of the subjects he actually talked about the most. This reality that if we don't get right with God, if we don't get reconciled, if we don't allow him to save us, then the result is hell, eternal separation. From our maker. It's a terrifying thought. And and I I think it's supposed to be. The imagery is always terrifying in scripture. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it. And that was my motivation, one of my primary motivations for getting saved. And then God began to pour his love into my heart. And I realized that although the fear of God is foundational and something that I'm meant to grow and mature in, it's not the only way that I'm meant to relate. With my heavenly father. And he began to pour his love into my heart. And I realized that yes I fear God. And I also know that my God loves me. And that my father went to unfathomable lengths to save me. To adopt me into his family. And I began to find myself being motivated by his love. In fact in moments I felt even compelled by his love to tell others about him. And you begin to grow in the reasons why you follow Jesus. It may start out one way, but as the journey progresses, you find that God wants you to grow up. And you realize that actually the story is not about me. I get to participate in it, but ultimately where the story is going is to the throne room of God, a place in heaven that's filled with a myriad of angels worshiping God for all of eternity. And Jesus said that the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This is a journey of worship. And worship isn't just singing songs, although I love singing and worship, worship and singing. It's such a gift. Worship is a posture, it's an attitude, it's a perspective, it's a realization. That the God who created the universe and upholds everything that's in it by the word of its power, this awesome, mighty, incredible, genius, beautiful, creative God, is my God. And the closer I get to him, the more I am compelled to worship him in awe. It's good news. When God gets bigger and bigger and bigger in your life. It is good to fear God because when you're fearing the greater one, there is nothing else to fear in this world. It is good when God is getting bigger because all of a sudden we gain perspective. And the very real painful challenges in our lives begin to shrink in the light of God's power and his faithfulness to work everything together for good. For his kids, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, to quote Romans. This is a journey of worship. I uh, find it fascinating that we're told, it's a very short story in Genesis 22, but there's some like, details along the way. And we're told that Abraham took the knife and the fire. And this is just my um, thought. But I wonder if that's not some sort of an allusion to truth and spirit, word and spirit. The Bible tells us that uh, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And of course, the fire is always the presence of God, God's spirit, God's with us. And along the way, the true worshipers of God worship the Father and spirit and in truth that's why grace city we say that we exist so that anyone might experience truth and grace there's a lot of different words you might use for those two categories but we learn to worship the god not who we've simply made up in our minds not just the god of our imagination not the not the god who i've created in my image but the god who exists in truth the self-defining god and the god who is present with us by his spirit Finally, lastly, this is a journey of together. In the story, we're told three times that Abraham and his son went together. When you're reading Old Testament scripture, when you're reading sort of um, that literary genre that we find ourselves in, in this passage, you got to look out for the uh, for the symbols, for the patterns parallelism, especially if you find yourself into some poetry, it's the, the, the structure, the way that words repeat themselves and the symmetry found in the, the, the passage is very, very important. And so when you see a word reappearing multiple times, three times specifically, that's, that's God's way of saying, zoom in on this. Don't miss this. This isn't just the father looking at the boy and saying, get up there, boy. Take the wood. Go do your duty. I'm going to stand back here. Make sure you get it done right. Abraham and Isaac, they ascend the hill together. Father and son, God the Father and the Son of God ascended the hill on Calvary together. They suffer together. This is a journey of together. Who do you have? to walk with in your life, your journey, your journey of testing, journey of worship. You know, following Jesus, it's not boring, but it is incredibly hard. It's real, it's true. I mean, it's just... Take up your cross, lose your life, take up your cross and follow me. This is not like happy imagery. This is like, this is hard stuff. Lose your life. Lay down everything. Join in the fellowship of my suffering, Jesus says, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Oh, it's it's the best life you could possibly ever live, filled with satisfaction, joy, and peace, hope. Did I mention joy? And joy, and joy, it's the serious business of heaven, to quote Lewis, joy. It's a journey of peace. It's a journey of discovering what life is really all about, and that is not about you. It's a hard journey, and Jesus strengthens us. You know how? He brings brothers and sisters around us. We never go it alone. Some people might say, oh, it's just me and Jesus. I walk with Jesus. Jesus had a body. Jesus had a body. Some of us have this idea of Jesus as like floating head bobble Jesus. He's just kind of like, it's just Jesus. He's just the head, just the head floating around. Jesus has a body. Arms and legs, hands and feet, fingers, a mouth, ears, the works. And Jesus places us in his body just as he sees, fit. he sees fits. Lucky for you guys... You got put in the perfect church. Congratulations. (laughs) Well done. Actually, it would seem what Jesus does do quite consistently is put us in his family, different sort of pockets of his family, local churches, um, in a way that we find ourselves surrounded with opportunities to serve, to bless others. To be conduits of his grace, his love. Don't go looking for the perfect church. Number one, it does not exist. Number two, you're going to shortchange yourself. Jesus wants to uh, include you in the work that he's doing. He's prepared good works for you. Find a church where there's opportunity to serve. And if you're here, you feel like, man, I've been here forever. I don't, what's there to do? I apologize if it feels like there's nothing for you to do because hear me when I say this, there is a lot for everyone to do. (laughs) It's just a matter of chasing someone down, I guess. There's a lot to do. Can I invite the worship team to join me back up front, please? Can we stand together? I want to end on a super practical note slash plug. We've been talking about our ecclesias for the last few weeks, few months. Um, ecclesias, it's the Greek word for church. It's what we call our small groups. So we gather here sort of in a communal way as a a large family, which is awesome, super important. But then when we leave here, we also gather in, in, in homes, as it were. Smaller groups where you can have more intimate conversations, get to know each other. And when it comes to following Jesus, this journey of together, guys, it doesn't get any more practical than, than going out of this place and finding a small group of brothers and sisters that you can, you can sit down with, begin to open up. Um, some of you have stepped up to say, look, I'll lead. I know the whole COVID thing still makes everything very, very complicated when it comes to gathering, but I'm willing to figure it out. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve others and to not try to do this alone. And so I want to encourage you. We're going to keep talking about it. We're still sort of getting all the details nailed down and figuring out who's doing what and time and location, et cetera, et cetera. We've already got a bunch of details on the website. Just go to gracecityportland.org, click on groups. It's right there. It's really easy to find. We've got a little map with the different things going on. And we want to begin to fill that up more and more. Some of you need to be leading an ecclesia because I've talked with you about it, and I know that, that you want to, and it kind of seems like Jesus is is leading you to do that. And um, I want to encourage you, challenge you. Guys, go for it. Do it. Open your home. Begin to facilitate those uh, those evenings or those moments when, when people can come together And you can figure this journey out together. No one has to go it alone. Father, help us. Thank you for the way that you have been so faithful to us. The way that you lead us. Holy Spirit. Won't you help us? As we continue on this journey of testing, worship, relationship, would you give us uh, eyes that um, help us not to get so distracted? The the way of the cross is—it's—it's a—it's not so complicated that it's somehow like secret hidden knowledge. Your ways are certainly above our ways, but you've given us everything we need to follow you, to trust you, for life, for godliness. Won't you help us? Let's worship together.